0: So let's go to the Bible. Uh, if you didn't grab a Bible, didn't bring one with you, uh, you can grab one just like just like I've got. Um, we'll be on page eight hundred fifty-seven, Luke chapter two. Familiar text with us today. We are in a series called Skinny Santa, and uh, we're used to thinking of Santa Claus kind of like this: this image of the the jolly, fat, happy, um, generous. Uh, Santa um, also becomes a a symbol of consumerism, can be a symbol of gluttony, can be a symbol of selfishness, can be a symbol of our own kind of um, insular desire to have more. And so this Christmas we're trying to think about slimming down and asking the question, what am I going to give this Christmas, not just what am I going to receive. But as we've talked about last Sunday and then this Sunday as well, Santa didn't start looking like that. He looked a little bit more like this. Nicholas of Myra, he was appointed bishop of Myra, which is an area in Turkey that's about right here, right? So he was the, you might say elder, we would probably use the word elder, the elder of this region right here. And, uh, and as that, he wasn't just a symbol of consumerism, he wasn't a symbol of gift giving even, he wasn't even a symbol of joy and mirth, he was a, a devoted Christian man. Devoted to the church, devoted to spreading the gospel. In fact, in fact, the stories that we have um, that, that date back to these kinds of of periods uh, we call a hagiography. There's your ten dollar word for the ten dollar word for the day. a hagiography it is a, a recording of the life of a saint. And these are all sort of very similar, they, they, they have certain things that are always attached to them. The saint always does some kind of miracle, and the miracles are always include some form of exorcism. So when we come to the question of who was Saint Nicholas of Myra really, we find out very quickly he was actually an exorcist. This is one of the stories that we have about him. After becoming bishop of Myra, Nicholas discovered that demons occupied many of the shrines of the old idols. These demons caused disturbances among the the people. So whenever he found one of these shrines, he tore it down, driving out the demons and restoring peace to the people. So literally... Nicholas of Myra is doing his job as a minister, as an elder, as a spreader of the gospel, and he is walking through Turkey, finding old shrines, tearing them down, casting out the demons, and replacing it with the religion of Christianity, replacing it with the worship of Jesus Christ. Here's another story. The villagers of Placoma asked Nicholas to rid a cypress tree. So, this is probably some sort of sacred site. You might be think of like druidic kind of worship, nature worship around this cypress tree. So, uh, the villager to asked him to rid a cypress tree of demons. And to do so, Nicholas swung the axe. Like, so just like, hey, this is what's coming next. And he scares them. They run off. It's a silly story. I think it's fun. Here's another one. Hearing of of the success, folk in the next village asked him to come and to rid, to get rid of the demons that were living in that village as well. And again, the demons fled, shrieking away. Well, there you go. Um, If your narrative of Santa Claus to your children doesn't include him casting out demons, your fictional Santa Claus is less cool than the real Santa Claus, right? I just want to be like, why did no one ever tell me this story? This makes Christmas so much more interesting. But I love this, and, and one of the things that we have to understand when we talk about casting out demons, because you, you, you have in your mind perhaps something very Hollywoody, very exorcist-y. It's not just talking about evil spirits, like a, there's like some sort of haunted area, and, and Nicholas has to go in there and sort of like, I don't know, throw some sacred water around and cast demons away. This is not what it's trying to communicate to us. What this hagiography is trying to communicate to us is it's trying to tell us that Nicholas was busy about proclaiming the gospel, He was so busy about proclaiming the gospel that he went into areas that were steeped in sin and false religion and paganism and idolatry and corruption, and he brought the light of the good news there and cast out the darkness. And if you'll recall, that was a bit of the ministry of Jesus. Isn't that what Luke tells us, opening up? Quoting from Isaiah 9-2, he reminds us of the words of the prophet, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And you never know how bad you need light until you're in the dark and scared, right? (laughs) Until you stub your toe, until you're in need, until you're like, somebody turn the lights on, right? This metaphor makes a lot of sense. That the world is steeped in darkness and ignorance, and we continue to live out—and maybe even some of you feel this way—live out the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Can I get a witness? Over and 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 we just keep doing this, and we need light. And this whole season is about light coming into the world, and that light is particularly about Jesus. And it is imperative that we remember this. And really what I'm trying to drive at, both with this story here and the scriptures we're about to engage with, is this. It is prime time for you to be vocal about your faith. Now is the time where you can sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And everyone at work isn't going to go, this person's a nut job. It is the only time you'll be able to say, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye, to Bethlehem. It's the only time you can use ye. During the year, without looking crazy or referencing to Kanye, right? I mean, we have a perfect time in which it is not awkward to invite someone to church. It's totally logical to invite someone to church. It's Christmas. It's like the name of the Savior is in the holiday, And so our encouragement today is to not only remember who Nicholas of Myra really was, but to take on his example, to take on John the Baptist's example, the Apostles' example, and the very shepherd's example, and to become the people who are glorifying God, because now is the time when you can do that. Now is the time when the world is ready, willing, and interested in listening to you tell them about the baby that has changed your life. Let's dive into Luke chapter two, right? Here's the story. This is what it's all about. Uh, We already got a little bit of it from Steve, but we'll start with verse one. Take a deep breath, right? Let all the other stuff go, and let's be here. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee into the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered to marry his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Wrapped him in a swaddling cloth, laid him in the manger because there was no room for them. In the end, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels had went away into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that's happened when the Lord has made known to us. They went with haste then and they found Mary and Joseph the baby lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured all these things up in her heart, but the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot to be said about this passage. I have read it and preached it so many times, as have you. You probably have much of that memorized and so let's spend a few, thing, a few minutes on um, things that I find really interesting. Textual criticism, right? So exciting. If you... <laughs> <laughs> who was that? Was that you? Yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> of course it was you. All right. If you watch, uh, if you watch uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas and you watch Linus' uh, quote from the King James version, version, you'll get this, right? Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. This idea of kind of the, uh, the brotherhood of all mankind's beautiful kind of imagery. If you looked at it or paid close attention to the translation we just had, it was, slightly, it was slightly different. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom He's pleased. Right? Well, there's quite a bit of difference between these two phrases, right? One kind of has this notion of kind of openness, brotherhood of all mankind, goodwill, peace toward all men, that kind of idea that God's blessing the whole world. And this one has kind of a much more specific connotation. God is only pleased maybe with a specific group of people, and some of our Calvinist friends do like to go there and, and think that. We might be drawn to, to, to that idea, but the problem kind of comes here with this word, uh, or Eutychus. This little letter right here is called a sigma. When the old version, the King James version, and other versions use, used manuscripts, the manuscripts we had m- missed the sigma. When we found older manuscripts. We realize, oh, the sigma does belong there. And so then you have the modern translation because this is indeed closer to the original text. So they added this, the sigma. And now we have with whom he is pleased. That brings up, of course, the important question who is God pleased with? Who is God pleased with? It's interesting because who has he come to see? The most elite, right? The special, the rich, the famous, the kind that you'd say, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. There's a special group of people. Of course, the angel would go there. No, the angel went to the guys working the late shift. It doesn't even tell us that they're pious Jews. Just as there are shepherds in the field, the most, the most you know, average job possible. There it is, shepherds in the field, and these are the people to whom God has bent low to speak good news that will be to how many people? Try again. How many people? All people. That, you got worse the second time. I don't know how that happened. I was trying to... All people. This is good news, right? For all people, right? That's what's going on here. we good news for all people. So even as he's speaking, even as the angel is trying to say, with whom God is pleased, I think he's leaning in because the shepherds of all people that night have to be thinking, working the late shift, I am certainly not the one that God is pleased with. If you've ever worked a late shift... You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> I got it. charismatic in the room this morning. Yes, we know what that's like. And these are the ones that God has come close to. And so, in fact, let's go a little deeper on this. Let's, let's kill this horrible notion that we have of Mary like giving birth in the gutter or some bizarre renaissance stable that we all have On our shelves at home, the least accurate depiction of anything ever in the history of the world. And we keep on putting them up. I've seen this. This is my friends love this one. They love this one. There's elements of this picture I really like, you know. Um, There's a lot to really like about that. Except for the fact that uh, the word in your Bibles, if you're looking real quick, that word in there at the end does not appear in your Bibles. Well, it does appear in your Bibles. It doesn't appear in Greek. It isn't that Jesus didn't have room in the inn. It wasn't that they didn't love Jesus and they kicked him out back, that they didn't care about him, and so here he is, this poor guy in a stable. No, this is what a home looked like. We probably do this every year, but this is what a home looked like. There was a living room upstairs, and they would bring the animals into the building during the night because they didn't have shotguns, floodlights, and electric fences. Right? Right? And if you love your livestock because they bring you life, we call them livestock for a reason, right? They bring you life, you're going to bring them into your home and close your door, which is exactly what happened. So what are we reading here? We are reading a story about everyone coming to town, the biggest family reunion, and everyone has to be there because taxes, yo. And you know what happens in tax season, right? That's what's happening. So they are crammed full. The houses are full. The people are full. Everything's full. And Mary does what happens when people get pregnant. She delivers. And so they bring her where they have room. They bring her downstairs. And they, they use what they have because everything's just jammed full. It's not like this is the only baby in town, Right? But this is the one that has just been born this night and brought into this home. And so what we read in this text is not Bethlehem not caring about Jesus, but rather average people living out ordinary lives. And these are the people to whom God has sent his Savior. Who is it that God favors he leans low to the average home in Bethlehem, to the scared first-time mom and the scared first-time dad. He leans in low to the people who are working a night shift, struggling to make ends meet. He leans in low to these people, and he says, the glory of God is given to you. Peace. That's good news. That's a good word full of hope and life and possibility. It fills us with wonder that God would have such love for such ordinary things, and yet God seems to love just that. And that puts us in great positions to recognize both our own loneliness and submit ourselves to God, but also to have great joy and great peace. Because if an angel, the army of God, stands before these average guys, and the armies of God, I don't know what the armies of God look like, but I assume that they outstrip any army I have ever seen in reality or in life, right? I mean, imagine the armies of God. How scared would you be? And the armies of God lean close and say, Don't worry about this. We're not here for you. (laughs) Good news. (laughs) Good news. Good news. We're here to tell you peace has come. And we're here to bring that hope to you. And this is the season, my friends, when we must most keenly both remember but also declare that good truth. Isn't that what we see out of them and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. There's something I particularly like about this and that is that it doesn't say that anyone believed them. <laughs> right? Because if somebody came rolling in and said, listen, I just, I just got off the line, but let me tell you, I was, like, I was like drilling this part in and all of a sudden an angel showed up And said, the Messiah's here. You might say, dude, you need more sleep. Like, time for you to beg for first, because this is not working out, right? We, We aren't told we have to convince everybody. You aren't told that you have to explain where God came from. You don't have to describe everything in detail and answer all of the questions. What do the shepherds do? They've encountered God. They have met joy, and they are pouring that joy out into the world. And people might believe them, and they might not. But either way, they're not responsible for the outcome. They're responsible for the testimony. We aren't responsible for the outcome. We're responsible for the testimony. And now is the time when we can make that testimony plain, loud, and clear. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is peace. He is hope. He is light. He is life. Come into the church and experience the community of the saints, both broken sinners and redeemed saints, somehow held in this weird conglomerate contention that we have Come and experience it. That is our message. That is our marching orders. That is what we're supposed to be doing. And if we aren't doing that, brothers and sisters, how many times have you asked God to act in your life? Anybody ever prayed that? God, please move in my life. It occurs to me that perhaps God is less willing to move in my life now if he has moved in the past, and they never gave him glory for it. Right? I mean, the reason God moves in our lives is not just for our own good. Remember, that's what he comes to Abraham way back when. Way back at the very beginning and says, I'm going to make you of a great nation. I'm going to lead you all the way to the point where you are the one who has brought about the, the coming of the Messiah. And he says, what's it all about? That you would be a blessing. God grants us the greatness of his presence, his joy, his miracles, his, his movements in our lives so that we can use them to bring more people to him that he can heal more people. Makes sense? But if we don't ever bring glory to God for what he has done in the past, why is he going to act in the future? And so it's incumbent upon us to participate in the mission of God just like Nicholas of Myra Just like the shepherds, to participate in the mission of God by simply declaring, God has blessed my life this year. And maybe it's been a really hard year. Some of us have had a really hard year. But there were some silver linings there, moments where God moved and you met mercy or grace. My challenge to you, the skinny Santa challenge, if you will, is this, that you use this opportunity, this opportunity that you have right now to declare what God has done for you, all that God has given you, all that God has forgiven from you, all that God has granted you in Jesus Christ, that we might make his name known. Because that is what this is all about. Amen? As we come to a conclusion, um, I would offer an invitation. If you need prayer or you need to confess your sins, if you need maybe somebody to walk with or maybe just somebody to cry with, um, we will have elders uh, out back here. If you kind of don't want to come down front, they'll be back there by the coffee spot after. And now, uh, if you want to come and talk with me, I'll be here as well. But make today the day where we make the decision to make the rest of Christmas about spreading the gospel. Amen. Let's stand as we sing the song.